Welcome to Glitch Cube, we're a gaming podcast, and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games. I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And thank you once again for joining us this week as we dive deeper into the dark ages of gaming, Ooh. where we talk about some of the well-known quote-unquote failures in the gaming industry. Um, and this one, I, to me, this is really interesting. It does pop up a lot on the failure lists as far as gaming consoles go um and yes it did fail it has a very short lifespan but i almost want to say that this is a successful experiment as far as gaming goes so Hmm. what i'm talking about is the 3do and this system is very it's very interesting they were able to bring or allow the player to bring home the arcade, basically. Um, this system came out in 1994, uh, and it was revolutionary in the way that it processed audio, the way it just, the way it licensed out things. Like from from the business side to the tech side to the games that were coming out, it had a lot going for it and a lot of buzz behind it, and that was partially due to the you know the founder and creator of 3do industries which was uh was it tim holland or howard uh uh, trip hawkins what's that trip hawkins oh my god like i'm so yeah trip hopkins thought you said tom holland for a minute i'm like wait a minute he was alive i did say tom holland i I, (laughs) I totally have spider-man on the brain still (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah trip so wow i'm leaving all that in because that's just stupid uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk about failures anyway <laughs> like this guy is super revolutionary in just gaming culture in general and just tech right he super brilliant um he ended up getting his degree at harvard and during that time he was super fascinated with uh, video games and the idea of what they can do in the future, right? He like he wanted to um, expand on this genre, so he ended while he was attending Harvard. He ended up uh, just taking random classes that pertained loosely to gaming, but none of them were ever linked to a <clears throat> a degree specific for gaming game design because uh, that just wasn't a thing back then. And he kind of created his own game design degree path which is really fascinating and i really commend the people who do that and it's actually an option in uh, a lot of universities where you're able to kind of blend multiple degree paths together to create your own custom one which a lot of people don't know about but it is a Mm. lot harder to accomplish these things so really kudos to this guy and then once he graduates from college he ends up working at apple and after only working there for four years, he becomes the head of, uh, was it marketing and design, right? Or, yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing to think about. Like, within four years, he becomes one of the head honchos for Apple. It's nuts. And this is when Apple was first starting. So everything is just new, revolutionary, pioneering. It's just kind of paving the way for what we have now currently. So it's really cool to see. But his love for video games never died out, and eventually he wanted to get back into that. So he decided to leave Apple, and he created his own company, which you might have heard of, 
It's still around, even though he's not part of it anymore. Uh, it is Electronic Arts. Now, I know nowadays Electronic Arts does have a lot of buzz around it of not being the greatest company to work for or deal with. But back then, it was a revolutionary company, and it didn't have a lot of any of the issues that it currently has now. So try and keep that in mind where it's not the quote-unquote evil company that we know of nowadays. <laughs> So while working there, he, you know, continues to expand on what he's doing. And then eventually he does leave EA and creates uh, 3DO Interactive, right? Is it Interactive or University? Interactive. Interactive. And uh, from there, that's where we get the 3DO system. So before we jump into what it was, a little bit more on the specs and a little bit more on... Um, it's kind of a deeper dive on the 3DO system itself. What, what's your experience with there? What have you heard about the 3DO system? Well, something I found interesting that I didn't realize until just now is that it actually released <clears throat> September 12th. So basically 29 years ago. Oh, gosh, that's crazy. Probably when this episode comes out, it'll be very close. Hey, and that's actually that was completely by chance. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know. I did not notice that until now. But uh, my experience with the 3DO, I more so just know their games because uh, I collect for the PlayStation. Mm. I see a lot of their uh, <clears throat> third-party like logo on a lot of games. I never owned a 3DO. I remember, I remember seeing them like used. Probably like the early two thousands for like eight hundred dollars. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, still eight hundred. Um, but I never picked it up because I was like, "Why would I want this when I can have the superior console, the PlayStation?" You know, and we'll get more into that about how that kind of was the the main enemy of the three DO. Mm -hmm. But it, the games on it were interesting. Uh, back in the day, I was not into FMV or any of the games really on it but nowadays it's more of like a uh an interesting relic you know you look back at it and it's like wow like this was at the time that it came out in 91 it seemed almost ahead of its time you know with 3d and stuff like that you didn't really see that kind of quality in gaming until at least a few years later mm -hmm. And I mean, it's crazy to think about what they were doing. Uh, I thought the business practices were really interesting about what they were doing with like royalties and licensing that, you know, you don't see that anymore. Damn. I think that's the most fascinating part about the, the life of this, this system. So the, when it, yeah, so I think we can go into a little bit of the business practice behind the 3DO right now. So the 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 3DO has a very interesting philosophy when it comes to designing games, and not just games, even the system itself. So during that time, 3DO Interactive didn't have the resources to actually make the console themselves. Uh, so they decided to license out the hardware to various different companies. And they actually ended up contacting pretty much every single electronics company out there to, you know, see if they want to make this system. Um, another thing that 
they did as well, branching off on licensing, was they continued with that trend and license or um, and played with the royalties and licensing of the games themselves, right? So during this time, and it's still a current thing that isn't really talked about a lot, right? Whenever you buy a game, you're not just paying the developers of the game. You have multiple different parties that you're paying at that time, right? And hence the price mm -hmm. for it. So you're paying the, obviously the developers, and then you're paying the shop that you bought it from, whether it's, you know, online or a brick and mortar store, right? Um, and during this time, it was, you know, brick and mortar stores. They didn't have like Amazon <laughs> Prime Delivery in 94. <laughs> <laughs> so... And then the final person that you were paying was the actual uh, like console itself that the game was then housed on. So that kind of like all combines together to the ultimate price. Now, at that time, uh, like if you let's say you wanted to make a game for Nintendo, uh, you actually had to pay about $13 per game sold uh, to Nintendo for having it on their system, which is pretty pricey right when you think yeah. about it if you're selling a game for 50 bucks and you have to spend automatically give nintendo 13 dollars, it makes sense why they're such a big huge company to this day think about how many units have sold over the years it's a lot of I mean, money that's why games were so expensive back then like yeah. you look at the super nintendo and games were like easily hitting 80 dollars. yeah and it's because they had all these different fees that they had to pay and it and a lot of these companies they were made by hobbyists right this was kind of like the pioneering age so they needed to find a way to make their money back like a nice return on investment so of course the prices would go up um but for 3do they took that and they flipped it and they they basically sided with the designers and it was a way to um <clears throat> bring in more more designers, more uh, gaming companies to want to have their games on the 3DO system. So instead of paying 3DO $13 for every unit sold, they only had to pay them $3. And that's a huge jump right there. So yeah. uh, right away in my mind, I'm like, what a brilliant plan. If they can keep that up and still run a profit, then why isn't everyone jumping at the chance to have their game on a system? Right? Like this is kind of the ultimate or like the old school steam in a way, right? Where you for a low cost of entry, you can have a game released on a console and have it in people's living rooms and have people enjoying it around the world. It's kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side of that, though, when we look at the hardware itself, right? So they did license out the hardware to different companies. But in order for those companies to then turn a profit, that actually jacked the price up quite substantially. So remember, this is 1994. And in order to get your hands on the 3DO when it first came out, it was going to run you about $700. Now, that is insane to think about because right now that's the price of what, like the PS5, right? It's around that time. Not even. PS5 is like 600 So it's more expensive than a PS5 now. That's nuts. That's insane. Yep. And another issue that I felt kind of came up with this licensing issue of um, is that since they did reach out to so many different companies, there was a lot of different brands on the 3DO. There was multiple different versions of this same gaming system. And 
as a consumer, I would probably look at that and automatically you're going to have your brand favorites, right? And it seems mm -hmm. like the Panasonic version was the most popular version of the 3DO at the time. But the idea of like, I, I, I wouldn't be able to, you know, get rid of that, that itch in the back of my mind that is this the best version of this system, especially if you're going to be dropping that kind of money on it, you want to make sure that you have the best version of it if there's going to be so many different types out there. So I think that also that, that is what contributed to the ultimate failure of this system is some confusion as far as it goes as to um, what's the difference between these different types of hardware, right? Even if there is no difference, the fact that there is different names slapped on these things, that's kind of confusing, right? So but that it overall, this is a really ingenious idea to get not only games made, but to get systems made as well. Uh, thinking that like you could just have the idea for a brand new game system, but not have to have any of the inventory or even like the means to make these things. You can get it made and, you know, like get it out there, get your idea out there. It's, it's crowdfunding all the way, right? Like it's pretty, mm -hmm. it's pretty brilliant in its own way. So one of the companies or they did or two of the companies at least that they reached out to to have their 3do system made was uh they reached out to sony and they also reached out to sega and apparently between those two companies they were really close to making a deal um and they were in talks for quite a while this is at least what Tripp says. He claims that he they were almost going to close a deal with uh, Sony specifically after a long conversations, but then Sony decides to drop out and they stated that, oh, we actually are going to be making our own system, which we now know is the PlayStation. And that probably is the ultimate demise for this console itself. So it's, I don't know, it's it's tough like I mentioned in the beginning, it's it's tough to call this system an like a, a complete failure because the idea behind it is so interesting, and I feel like the idea itself is not a failure. This is definitely something to kind of look into, and it just kind of speaks on that whole idea of like the American dream, right? You can you can if you dream something, you can accomplish it, and they really showed that to be the case here. So it's. I mean, it's you look at the time, right? The early '90s and Nintendo, Sega, they're Japanese companies, and people, you know, they wanted to push this like, "Oh, this is an American-made console." You know, before that, it was just the Atari, and people were all excited, like, "Hey, this is a con like a console that's made here. Like, we're gonna support it." That was another big thing. But like you were saying earlier with the price and with the PlayStation, you look at it and it's too expensive. Even when they cut down the price, I think they cut it down to 500 It's still too much. When the, when the PlayStation released, it was $300, which was looked at as high itself. Um, so, and another thing too, since CD gaming was becoming bigger, you know, you look at the Sega CD, you look at mm -hmm. the Atari Jaguar, it... It was that time where CDs were starting to become a big thing. The 3DO was saying, oh, not only can you play games, you can listen to audio CDs and, you know, those kind of gimmicks. But 
at that time, Sega had released a newer version of the Sega CD, which did the exact same thing for a quarter of the cost. And at Sega, you were able to get all your your franchises, your Sonics, all of that. So it was, you look back, there wasn't really anything the 3DO had that could really pull people in it, unless you look at, say, FMV games, which were the majority mm. on the console. I mean, that's kind of what the console's known for. And they actually used a lot of like FMV mechanics in their games to enhance them, which I found really interesting, mm-hmm. where they were able to take some games that were just purely like on the arcade, bring them to the console, and then maybe like change out the backgrounds, the renderings of them to a more FMV style and just completely enhance it and give you a whole new experience which was really clever. And I do like the fact that you mentioned, you know, how with with Sega, you don't have your Sonics and things like that. That was one core thing that was missing from the 3DO was that mascot, right? Like when it came to advertisements and stuff like that, Nintendo has Mario, Sega had Sonic, right? Like they don't have that with this system. And that kind of plays into the fact that they were trying to invite all creatives to come to their to them to make their games. So that's kind of like the double edged sword of having open arms to all creatives. You're not going to it's going to be a lot more difficult to create like a a brand behind it. Right. This is kind of like the catch all system. And the idea of it being able to play music and like that being one of the primary gimmicks, they were they were trying to make an all in one like, you know, home unit, which is super amazing for that time. And a lot of us probably don't like we just second guess it now or don't even think about it because for most of us, your your game system is not only your game system. It's your Blu-ray player. You know, for some people, it's even how they get onto the Internet. It's everything. But that concept wasn't really that wasn't around during this time. So this all of this is just super revolutionary um, as far as it goes with gaming. The one thing that really stood out about the the console's power was with FMV games in that consoles before it couldn't really, like, the big ones can handle it. You look at Sega CD, and the games on it wouldn't really run that well. It wasn't until uh, they released the 32X that these FMV games could kind of run better. Mm but that was another extra cost. You know, when you think about it, you have to buy the Genesis, you have to buy the Sega CD add-on, and then you have to buy the 32X. And in the end, that that ends up being a lot of money. That's almost close to, I think back then, that would have been $500, $600? Which is right around the same price as, you know, the 3DO. So their price point isn't that outlandish. It's just combining everything into one lump sum, which is harder to, you know, deal with at one point in time yeah and with the sega it had limitations it could only do 64 bit but it was it was really compressed you know there were other consoles out there that were kind of pushing that mark you know even though another failed console the cdi it was able to kind of handle it better though it didn't look any better uh there was the jaguar which i mean 
another failed console. All these like failed consoles happen around this same time because they were trying to do something new. And then the TurboGrafx CD, which I mean, wasn't really a thing here. It was more so outside of the US, but it was doing it really well. So looking at it, like in the US, the 3DO really was the best option for these kind of games until the PlayStation came out. And that's when it kind of changed. You know, I mean, I've played FMB games on the PlayStation and they they run good, you know, as good as they can be. But when you look at, say, how FMB games started in the arcades, it, it really wasn't as smooth as that. Right. Uh, something I did find interesting about the 3DO company itself was they released an MMO in 96. And it's weird to think of an MMO because, I mean, we didn't have the internet we have now. And it's and, the final year of this console. So that's really interesting. Well, this was released on the PC. Oh, okay. But it was it was from their company. Interesting. And actually on the development team of this game the game's called meridian 59 and it's actually people still have private servers of this game up oh wow so it, it really is one of the longest running mmos out there and i mean it's very basic you know it's more basic than everquest any of those older ones but someone on the development team uh john hank uh, actually found it Niantic. Oh, nice. Who co-developed Google Earth and Pokemon Go. And it's interesting seeing like, whoa, he came from that. But this game was kind of revolutionary because, I mean, there was no other MMO. I mean, you look at early Ultima and that was really it. But they did have to pay a subscription fee, which think about paying a monthly fee on top of your AOL, which charged you by the minute. Mm-hmm it would end up adding up really quick. It's a lot of and free discs so, that you have to steal from your neighbors. <laughs> exactly. I mean, they gave them out like candy, so, I mean... It's true. You could do that, but it it was ambitious, you know? And I think, honestly, when it comes to 3DO's, like, software part of it with games, that was probably their <laughs> most ambitious title. Because you look at some of their other stuff, like the Army Man games, personally, I, I loved renting those games back in the day from Blockbuster. I thought they were fun. Yeah. As a kid, nowadays, I'm like, oh, well, they're kind of basic, you know, but they were cool. And I think that 3DO really could have moved on slowly towards maybe better software, but I think they were just getting defeated left and right over certain, so many different things that, you know, there's really no way to save a sinking ship when you've already sunk more than halfway. Yeah. And I feel like it has to also do with the fact that they had so many titles on the system. And a lot of these FMVs, I mean, FMVs are very interesting in their own sense. They and they get really like kind of cringy, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And I would feel like I feel like there has to be some sort of like controversy with some of the games that they would allow on the system. Right. Like the like because they get really like either dark or kind of like, you know, a little rapey sometimes. And like it, but those games were getting released regardless of the fact. And it, it's a little, to me, that's a little weird, right? Like, but at the same time, like you can't fault a, a company for publishing games. It's not ultimately their fault, 
but then you also have game systems like Nintendo who have, you know, uh, practices put into place to prevent those kind of stuff from happening so that they can avoid the controversies and stay relevant longer. But I, I don't know. That kind of goes more into like longevity of systems and like, you know, uh, overall culture of a game development uh, company itself. So. Definitely, because, I mean, with those, you know, full motion videos, you start getting more of those adult-centered games. You know, you look at Night Trap. I mean, that was on it, and that actually, I think, was the best console it really ran on. But, I mean, if anyone's kind of been on the internet and follows gaming videos, they probably have heard of Plumbers Don't Wear Ties. <laughs> it, you know, if you haven't, just look up. I don't really say watch Angry Video Game Nerd all the time, but that video captures it perfectly. I mean, it's it, this game is so out there and to think that, you know, they're re-releasing this game as a physical copy as like, you know, an ode really? to a time past. Yeah. Limited runs doing a, a physical, they, they got the rights to it. So they're re-releasing it. And when they said they were doing that, they got a lot of heat because obviously of how controversial this game is. Yeah, that just feels really problematic, especially during this time period. Oh, that game. Yeah, I mean, if if you haven't, if you don't know what it is, it's basically um, there's two sides. There's the guy who is a plumber and he gets yelled at his mom saying that, hey, you should have kids. And there's a girl who gets yelled at by her dad who ends up being the narrator for this story, which is kind of weird, that she needs to have kids. And they meet in the parking lot and, you know, they're like, oh, we'll go on a date later. And basically the story of this is she goes for an interview with this for a job and it just ends up, you know, sexual advancements, all this kind of stuff. And there's really weird photo like it's just a weird game but basically it's just this huge long cuts like still images it's not even a full motion video but this game when you look at it it's like how was this made you know but considering what other games came out especially for the cdi this wasn't something totally unusual there were other kind of games like this if not more adult orientated oriented Mm -hmm. and it's interesting you know you look back then and that was so easily put out there and nowadays something like that really wouldn't fly i mean nowadays the closest thing we have to something weird with full motion video is super seducer which that i mean (laughs) those games are problematic too you know people can either look at it as a joke but at the same time like someone could take that seriously and actually try it and i mean it's, it's you know, pick that, apart as the, the game, problem. and it's just not, it's not good. Like, yeah. like instilling those kind of ideas, or like I, I, I would say like normalizing those kind of ideas. That's a, that's the major problem with them. Yeah, so, yeah, it's just awkward. I, I can't. That I think that's my biggest like turnoff for FMV games, and I, it maybe it's it's on that same argument as to why games or people felt like video games needed to be regulated um, is that like they were becoming too real. And then when now you're actually playing real actors and performing some heinous acts like for that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> but like if it was like polygons or whatever, like a little chibi character, I probably would feel less uncomfortable playing it. I don't know. It's more of like a mental block for me, I guess. It would feel more like a cartoon than actually like 
putting yourself in that situation. You know, you look at some of these games and it's like you don't see yourself, but you see real looking people. So it's easy to put yourself in it. Yeah. Like there's that one game that I was I looked at. It was called uh, Kids on the Site. Have you heard of them? Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's funny. It's pretty comedic, but you're you're on a construction site and you're a child worker, right? <laughs> like, they're putting you in charge of heavy equipment and they really, like, play up the idea like you are a child <laughs> and you are running this equipment. And yes, you could do things properly and, you know, like, help them out on the construction site, but you could also kill absolutely everybody in the site as well, too, and, like, pretty <laughs> horrifically. And some of the the falls and some of the things that happen to these characters, if you, you know, do wrong actions, it it looks painful for these actors. And I almost (laughs) feel really bad for them. Like, you can tell that they are recent graduates who just needed a gig real quick and they're being like thrown around and it just it feels strange because getting run over by a steamroller yeah like i mean that's super it's totally like who frame roger rabbit style where he like flattens out like a pancake Mm -hmm. but (laughs) but like it's almost like normalizing or like making it feel like i don't know it's it's bringing comedy to the idea of like oh kids can drive a heavy machinery and it's fine right like i I don't don't know it's that one's tough for me but I think that's just the whole genre itself. That's why it's so difficult for me to get behind it. You find yourself staring down the mouth of a dark cave, hearing the low rumble of something large inside. This is it. Everything you have been fighting for lies just within this cave. <laughs> <sighs> Hey man, what's the matter? This is your big ending fight scene. Yeah, sorry about that. I've just been so tired today. Feels like I've been hit with like two points of exhaustion. You know what? I have just this thing to get you back into the adventuring spirit. Really? Of course. I have a delicious roast from Geek Grind Coffee. Huh, that sounds pretty cool. What kind of brews do they have? They have blends like Dragon's Roast, Dwarven Dawn, Wizard's Mist, and so much more. They have even one celebrating Jim Hansen's The Labyrinth, The Goblin King's Elixir. Whoa, those sound awesome. I'm waking up just hearing about them. Is there an easy way for me to pick up some? I got you. For the fans of our show, if you visit geekgrindcoffee.com right now and enter the promo code GLITCH at the checkout, you will get 20% off your order. Whoa, that's great. So you're saying if I go to geekgrindcoffee.com right now and enter the promo code GLITCH at checkout, I'll get 20% off my order? That's amazing. That's right, yo. (laughs) All right, I'm ready for this adventure. Bring it on. Hey, that's a natural 20. Just like the discount you can get when entering the promo code GLITCH at geekgrindcoffee.com. Level up your morning with Geek Grind Coffee. Yeah, there's there's definitely more lighthearted bad games and then there's more so like controversial, you know, but to really look at like FMVs, going back in time real quick, 
they started in the early 80s uh, in arcades. Uh, it was called Astron Belt, which didn't really look so much like an FMV game. It just the models looked like the ship looked realistic flying through space. And then some people classify Dragon's Lair as kind of the first big one. Mm-hmm. Even though it's still a cartoon, it's still full motion. And I didn't think about that. Like, that's actually a game I really enjoyed. But it is an FMV. When I didn't even, like, my brain never put that together as an FMV for some reason. Yeah. And there was actually a lot of these, uh, like, I forget. It's like hollow. It's not hollow deck. It's something. But there was this game where it was on a, you were basically looking at this, like, flat surface. And then, like, these holographic, like, images of people would play out different scenes and it was the same thing as dragon's lair where you had to do different directions to change the actions and it was really fascinating to see that they were able to do this in the arcades at such an early time you know that's that's kind of the start of the use of full motion but we didn't really see it take form until the sega cd 3do to where we what we know now you know more I don't want to say high-end, because back then it it didn't look high-end. But, you know, there was... You had your funny games. Like, you look at, like how you say, kids on the site. Like, it's it's a comedy, even though it's it's messed up. You know? But then you have, like, Thunder in Paradise, which was... The Hulk Hogan one. (laughs) The Hulk Hogan one. Yeah, it was based off a show that lasted a season, and it was just terrible. You know? It was uh, one of those shooters, but, like, it was weird. You would shoot them, and then they, like flash colors and then just go away you know like there was that was another big thing with fmv were shooters and you know you look at i forget what it is it's that police one but it it looks realistic and then you have i don't know if you've seen this one but crisscross had one no i didn't but that sounds awesome it was make my video crisscross and you're this like radio DJ and you get a call and people are like, Hey, you should make a music video for crisscross. So basically you're collecting a bunch of different images or little like video clips and you're putting it all together. And then at the end you're rated on how well you followed that list. But at the same time, you're getting like not only crisscross wrapping in your ear, but if it's bad, he'll be like, that's whack. Like he'll just like make fun of you. Mm. It's I didn't know this game existed till like maybe a week ago, but it was just it captures 90s so well. It's it's terrible. That's actually Um, really cool, though. I I like that concept for a game. (laughs) Um, It's it's like band manager of the game, right? Like that. Like that's that's pretty cool. And I wonder how many like because that's one thing, too, like with a lot of these FMV games, they they feel like really cheesy, like training montage videos for like work. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm wondering, like, if you could actually teach people skills through FMV game styles. Right. Like kind of like like, teach them what it's like, like, teach them what it's like to be like a day in the life of a X. Right. Like whatever programmer, like an astronaut or whatever it may be, and kind of live that lifestyle through FMV for a little bit. It would be interesting. That would be kind of fun. Uh, But yeah, then you have other ones like Slam City, which was a basketball FMV game, which. You just got dissed all the time. It wasn't really 
fun, but it was interesting because it was different. You know, I mean, a sports game, F and B, you don't really, you didn't really see that back then. Right. But I want to kind of go into maybe now the more mm, controversial mm. games because there's definitely a lot out there, and we already talked about some of them. But there was one I've played this. Uh, I played it a while ago. I don't know if you ever heard of Harvester. Oh yeah. Very very Basically, campy horror. <laughs> yeah, very gory. It was banned Germany and a few other places, I think, as well. And basically it's a point and click adventure. You're this teenager or eighteen, I don't know, something like that. And you're you wake up in the Midwest. You don't know what's going on. People are just weird. They're asking you to do mundane tasks when it ends up getting a little more violent. And apparently you find out there's this cult in the city. And it's, yeah, it's very campy. Yeah. It is, it is messed up. The the voice acting is terrible. Oh, yeah. Just everything about it, it's like so bad. But I kind of looked past it when I played it. I actually kind of had fun with it. But definitely, you know, possibly it might be too much for some people. I, I feel like Harvester has uh, potentially some of the most iconic lines in games. <laughs> Uh, uh, like yeah. at one point the it shows a human skull attached to a spine right like someone just died and you're the boy mm -hmm. at with the detective and they're kind of like looking at it and the detective looks down and he goes well i think it's pretty clear that they died of natural causes and, and, and like the person just had their spine ripped out right and the boy <laughs> looks at him and goes natural causes what are you talking about and the detective's response i think is just freaking brilliant but He's like, well, it's not natural to have your spine taken out of you. So, yeah, natural cause. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it's like, wait, what? <laughs> or it, like, it, it, yeah, super weird stuff. And I think at one point, like the the boy's talking to his mom and she says like, oh, you shouldn't be playing those games. And he literally just says, shut up, mom. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. it, yeah, it, like you said, voice acting is not good and the script writing in general is just horrible so yeah interesting yeah. stuff though uh the last one and i played this too maybe like quite a bit of it just because of how well known it is but uh phantasmasgoria i always mess that up mm. but um uh, it i i played it because it's a sierra game and i know sierra is always great with their point and clicks mm -hmm. But it's about this couple. She's a famous novelist, and they move into this haunted house to get inspiration, and basically things just go wrong. Uh, this game was actually banned, or not banned, but CompUSA, which was, you know, back in the day, this version of, you know, Best Buy. Like, they were, that's where you went for computer games and stuff like mm -hmm. that. They didn't want to sell it because the violence was too realistic. And the problem with that is just like how we were talking about in our rating episode, when you say that kind of stuff, people want to play it. Yeah. So it started getting this huge following and it was actually banned in two countries for it. And there was a huge argument. There was many people pushing like this game shouldn't exist. Like this is actually like violent. It's teaching wrong issues. I mean, there's even like a sexual assault scene in there. Like it's, it's pretty far out there, you know, and like it is campy. It has that campy horror vibe, 
But at the same time, it's like, you know, sometimes it might go a little too far. Yeah. But it's, it was kind of like, to me, it was, the theme was the same as like, say, Seventh Guest, which if anybody wants a good FMV game from the old days, Seventh Guest is probably my pick for a good way to experience it without the the controversial stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just a good point and click adventure and it's a classic. You know, I'm wondering if that, if that game was not released as a game, but rather just a movie, if it would have the same, uh, like drama attached to it, banned in countries. And I, don't all. Think so. I don't think so. Right. It's the fact that it's a game and you're playing through it. So it, it's the idea that you're making the choices to make this happen, even if it's like a railroad kind of game, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, yeah. So, I mean, just another thing to think about whenever people start bringing up like how games incite violence. It's not, I mean, if you have a movie of the same thing, like, I mean, look at, what is it? Like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Like that's a horrible, horrible story of like abuse towards a woman, right? But the revenge story nonetheless. And everything about it is just like kind of messed up and violent and, you know, sexual abuse, all of it. And, but it's like critically acclaimed, right? And like the novels on the bestsellers list and like there's all kinds of stuff like that. But whenever, if it was made into like an FMV game, that would be instantly like banned. People would be going shouting at their government, writing to their congressmen saying like this needs to get taken off the shelves. Like, so it's, it's interesting. Like the, the delivery method is what makes it a problem. So, yeah. Um, but modern FMV games nowadays, they're, they feel more like a movie, you know, they don't feel as campy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like they've come a long way. They're not, I mean, they're not big, but, uh, one that did kind of get well known, it's made by the same people, her story, and then telling lies is another game by them. And I think they're really interesting. I've watched people play them because I'm not big in F and B, but they're pretty good. Basically, it's just, you know, with her story, you're trying to catch someone lying and kind of the same with telling lies. It's it's just thrillers. I mean, that's most of the FMV nowadays. They don't do I don't really see shooters anymore. It's just all like thrillers or comedies. And it's it's interesting how people are trying to I don't want to say revitalize that genre, but the people that are making them, you know, they're they're good you know they're not terrible like they can i think this style of game can be done really well it's just it's hard you know because we're so used to looking at these games being bad you know i think about what could be good and i mean this is an interactive story not an fmb but you know you look at um bandersnatch where you were able to do choices yeah you know, stuff like that. Like, I think interactive movies is a more interesting choice than really an FMV game. I think it's the natural evolution but, of the FMV game. Yeah. Yeah. I, if there were more movies, quote unquote, like that, like, I'd be happy. I really like that kind of idea. And I think it'd be a lot of fun. I know that it'd be a lot of work having to film different scenes and endings and mm-hmm. stuff, but it's it's cool being able to make choices and it's not like a game where you just kind of feel like stringing along the story 
because with a movie it does feel different like you actually feel like whoa this is this is crazy because it's out of my control for the most part and i don't know i I would be happy seeing more movies or games kind of go that route yeah i remember when bandersnatch came out i was obsessed with that I think mm-hmm. uh, me and my fiance spent like at least two or three days going through it, trying to get every ending and every potential, you know, like making every choice possible uh, just mm-hmm. because it was so interesting to see. And it, it became like you were like you were altering reality in a sense. And it was just really, really fun to play through that and to watch it. And yeah, I, I if FMVs kind of went more towards that kind of direction where it was more of like choose your own adventure movies, uh, then I would be like really down for it. I think it'd be really fun to see what they can do with that. So there's, there's some interesting things that can come out from it, but like, uh, like we said, there's a lot of problematic stuff that also comes from FMVs (laughs) and it's just, it's the history, right? Like, Every single form of media has its problematic. It's like problem children, right? Like you have like books that have been banned, movies that have been banned, like things that just really push the envelope. And I feel like FMVs are that for gaming. They really pushed the idea of what a game is, and I have to commend them for that. Um, as just like I would commend, you know, like Marcel Duchamp for pushing the envelope on what is art. It's it's that same mentality. And I think that's what really allows us to grow and continue to change as people and allows the medium to evolve over time. So it is quite fascinating to see these things, even if they aren't your cup of tea. Like, I don't really enjoy them that much personally. But I do respect the fact that they're there because it's allowing people to tell a story differently. And we all have a story to tell. And it just shows that there's a different media source or a different way for us to get it out there to share with the people or to share with the masses. So it's it's interesting. It's definitely kind of fun. That was really well put. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I'm smart sometimes. <laughs> and now I just ruined all, everything I just said. <laughs> and right. everyone's going to forget all of that stuff. But that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, we talked a lot about a system that had yeah, just, it had a lot of interesting ideas. And it was very innovative in the way it was approaching not just games but the business of games and how they can be developed and uh and put out there and it's very very cool i i really like that idea and it was fun looking into this as um something different and it it harkens back to one of the things this is my last tangent i swear it's part of the conclusion so we're fine (laughs) but it harkens back to what one of my professors told me when we were designing games was that he he wanted us to actually find games that quote unquote failed uh, instead of ones that succeeded uh, when we we're you know trying to figure out what we we're going to do for our final project because a lot of these failed games have something interesting about them whether they push the envelope too soon they went too far with something there's always an interesting concept behind them that gives them some gravitas like something important and essential to learn from and whether it's even if they didn't push the envelope or come up with something innovative 
it's always good to look back at these to see what went wrong and what can we do in the future to help change that. And that's not just with gaming, that's with life in general. So it's always good to look back at failures, but not dwell on them, you know, to the point of depression and spiraling down, you know, this whole rabbit hole of that, but to look at them as ways to potentially grow. And with this, like, that's kind of why we wanted to look at some of these quote unquote failures in gaming and systems and, and actual games themselves is to see where we went wrong and where we grew from them and what came out of these ideas because they they all are good ideas and there's a lot of people who back these projects so there's a lot of people who are rooting for them so there has to be something to them so there's a lot to learn and it's it's just a lot of fun looking at these i'm really enjoying this this series i think it's just ultimately what i want to say right now (laughs) me too i'm i'm really looking forward to our next episode or two because we got some more interesting stuff lined up there's some really crazy stuff where they really push the envelope and it's great to see but yeah so uh real quick if you guys are enjoying this please make sure to leave a five-star rating review on the podcast uh listener of your choice um currently apple podcast is the probably the best way to do it honestly and one thing that I would like to do, if you do leave a rating review, we want to shout you out. So leave reviews on there and we'll we'll shout you out by name on the show next time. So let us know. And then if you want to get in contact with us, uh, we are most active on Instagram and that is the Glitch Cube podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know why my brain just broke and I forgot our own handle. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just follow us on Instagram so you can figure out what we're doing and keep up to date. Uh, we also update uh, one of our other shows as well, the Murder of Grey podcast on there too. So if you want more information on that, you can find us through our Glitch Cube Instagram and kind of venture out that way if you want to hear more from us. Um, but yeah, so that's going to do it for us. Thank you guys so much for joining. Um, if there are any uh, failed games out there that you enjoyed or ones that you want us to tackle in the future, please let us know. And if you have any stories of FMVs that you've played or just stories of you playing the 3DO or some sort of you know experience that you've had with that system, let us know as well. It would be great to hear from you guys. So yeah, thank you guys again for joining us. And uh, bye. Bye.